0: Devotion to the Word of God is paramount for every Christian. But how does one rightly interpret Scripture? This holy book is sacred. This holy book must be read and understood correctly. You're listening to the Book of Jude. What is up everybody welcome to the book of Jude oh man it's been over a month over a month let me tell you why I was sick had a crud but it went away and I couldn't say 10 words without coughing so recording a podcast wasn't in the picture (laughs) And because I didn't feel good, I'm coughing. I just took a big break from social media and haven't posted anything. But I, it's all good. It's all good. I still got a little cough. I was on steroids and all that stuff. I went to the doctor. and uh, So I'm not sick, but I just have this lingering cough. So I uh, apologize for the long break. But, hey, we got to do what we got to do, right? From this moment forward, it's going to get crazy. I promise you from this episode and on, it is going to get insane because we start getting into, you know, the four horsemen, of the apocalypse and the keys of David and the keys of death and Hades and a dragon. And we're getting to all that stuff. That's somewhere down the road. But um, today's episode is on Revelation 3, 7, and Revelation 1, 17 to 18. If you remember, we skipped over this part in chapter 1, and because we're going to be talking about both of these passages today. So let's read together Revelation 3, 7. And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write the words of the Holy One, the true one who has the key of David, who... Opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. And now, Revelation 1 17 to 18. When I saw him, I fell at my feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So we'll leave the keys of David for the last part because I want to, you know, the keys of death and Hades just sounds interesting. So I want to do that first. If we do the keys of David first, I'm going to lose you. So let's let's do Revelation 1, 17, 18, where Jesus says, I have the keys of death and Hades. I will say some of your Bibles or some translations say I have the keys to death and Hades or I have the keys of death and Hades and you're like okay what's the big deal well is it a place or are they deities let me show you in old testament poetry death sheol hades it's personified so it's either personified because this is poetic and this is how they wrote or dr heiser says they're personified because They're real. You know, in Greek, uh, Hades is is a deity. Old Testament, you have the Canaanites, you have Baal, and the god of death was Mot, M-O-T. The safe route is, okay, it's just made up. These things aren't real. It's just saying it's a power move. It's telling, you know, John's in the Greco-Roman world, uh, John has already, uh, talked about Baal And so, um, this is just a slight to these religions and I'll tell you, pick a religion. Most of them have a, a God of the underworld, a God of death, uh, a God that holds the keys. And, um, I think, is it Osiris in, in Egyptian? I, I may be wrong, but, um, just start looking up gods of the underworld don't get too deep, (laughs) but, uh, a lot of religions have this. So, um, let's look at Hosea 13 and 14. Oh, by the way, if you're listening to this podcast for the very first time, uh, stop, uh, we are in a series called the old Testament and revelation. You need to go back to season three, episode one, and start from there, or you're going to be lost in the sauce. I promise you that this is not the episode to to come in on. So um, I'm I'm gonna. We've already went over so much that I, I don't repeat myself. And so um, anyway, press press pause and go back to the the beginning. But for those of you have has that have been along for the journey, death is personified. Let's go to Hosea 13:14. I shall ransom them from the power of Sheol. I shall redeem them from death. O oh, death, where are your plagues? O oh, Sheol, where is your sting? Compassion is hidden from my eyes. Hmm. So it's it's personifying death in Sheol. Habakkuk 2.5 Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as Sheol. Like death, he has never enough. He has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects, as his own, uh, as his own, all peoples. That's worded weird. Uh, one more, Isaiah five fourteen. Therefore, Sheol has enlarged its appetite and opened its mouth beyond measure, and the nobility of Jerusalem and her multitude. Will go down, her revellers and he who exalts in her. Now you see there her multitude referring to Jerusalem. So you see how it's could you know oh the these are they're personified, but it's not because it's a real god. It's just you know we just called she oh he and we in in the same verse it said Jerusalem as a her. So uh, some other. Bible verses to look at, listen, there is a long, long list of Bible verses that personifies death, okay? I'm just going to give you some. Uh, we do not have the time to go through them all, but if you're taking notes, Proverbs 112, Proverbs 2720, Proverbs 30, 15 to 16, and Psalm 141.7. So, Doctor Heiser points us to an author, and um, his name is Justin Bass B A S S, and he wrote a book called "The Battle for the Keys," and I highly recommend it. If you want to dive deep into this, um, Doctor Heiser's approach, Justin Bass's approach, um, they're really he he's really done the um, work, in... It's basically the battle for the keys. Who holds the keys to the underworld? Because when we say Sheol, you know, a lot of people get that mixed up and we we start thinking, oh, Sheol, Hades, hell, like a fire, Gehenna. Okay, stop, stop. Just like we had to come in here with a clean slate. I'm going to try to um, go over this quickly, but these are all not the same thing. Sheol just think if you die, and let's just say before Christ, if you die, you go to Sheol. You go to the ground. You get buried. you buried in a tomb, going to the ground, and you and your, your soul goes to the underworld. That's what it means. No lake of fire, no hell, no Satan, no any of these things. That's what it means. And so like... You might have heard of Abraham Abraham's bosom. You might have heard that these they have compartments and all these things. But listen, to us, this underworld is not a geographical location. It might be a cosmic location, but we're, you know we can't go there and check it out. But this this place, when you die, to include Jesus, when you die, you go to the underworld. That's what happens. But who's in charge of the underworld? And this is kind of what we're getting to. With Jesus' statement, I have the keys of death and Hades. Now back to Justin Baz, he says, Keys had a very important place in the ancient Jewish and Greco-Roman world. The Jewish, Roman, and Greek writer wanted to present their gods as the one who holds the keys to the underworld, End quote. So death and Hades would be understood as places and uh, also supernatural entities that are governing these places so the underworld was always protected by gates and required keys to access and let's talk about the canaanites let's talk about moat we've already discussed baal or baal uh, but remember uh, moat is the canaanite god of death in the underworld in the desert anytime the bible says the wilderness you know Uh, Jesus was tempted by the devil in the wilderness. It's always like that's a bad place. Don't go to the wilderness; it's a bad place. And so Moat was the god of death in Canaanite religion, and he he opposed everything. He opposed everything. Life. Hades. Hades is a personified is personified as the god of the underworld, and his brother is Zeus. So if you know anything about Greek mythology, well. Is it mythology, or did they have their own gods as well? Uh, Hecate, this was a Greco-Roman goddess. You might have heard other names. She goes, a.k.a. uh, Artemis, a.k.a. Diana. She was known to hold the keys to the underworld. She is the mother of all things, the beginning and the end, rules all and does it alone. Everything is from her. She is the eternal one who holds the golden scepter. Did you catch some of that language? The beginning and the end? Ruler over everything? Golden scepter? Those those ideas, those words and phrases should ring a bell. Jesus is saying in Romans 1, 17 to 18, I'm, I'm the first and the last. I'm the living one. I died, and behold, I'm alive forever evermore forevermore and have the keys to death in hades so jesus dies he enters the underworld and by his resurrection he conquers death in hades he has the key he has the authority takes the keys lord he's the lord over death um which kind of begs the question did did jesus not have the keys before rising from the dead um he descended into hell is what we hear, especially in the uh, Apostles' Creeds, familiar familiar language. He descended into hell, but um, this was a all of, everything that I just went over was a very prominent idea in theology until the late 1400s, early 1500s. Jesus died, therefore he went where the dead people go. Um, but it's been misconstrued. Now you might hear someone say Jesus died, his soul went to hell, and hell we think is the lake of fire. So wait, did Jesus, was he judged or something? Because the lake of fire, that's after the judgment, which has not taken place. So no hell, no lake of fire, That's that comes later. And he basically... He went to Sheol. He descended into the lower regions of the earth. And because of his resurrection, Jesus, I mean, he just said it. I'm alive. I died. I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys of death. And I'm the Lord over death in Hades. So you can take a safe road here and just say Jesus is just saying I'm power. I got authority over everything. All right. So death, moat. Hades, Greek, whatever you whatever you want to say, whoever whatever gods you think is over, you know, um, God is just over uh, heaven and earth. No, God is over everything. You got you got an underworld. You got you got this uh, nasty place. Yeah, God is God over that. He's sovereign over that. He's he's the ruler over that. So um, that's the point. If you want to dive deeper into, whoa, well, what's this stuff going on about other gods and 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 things, Justin W. Bass, in the battle for the keys, anything from Dr. Michael Heiser, it's it's a it's a um, a theology that you, you probably not, um, be honest with you, you probably never heard of it. All right, so there's so much more to say about where Jesus went after he died. That's a whole episode unto itself. I'm going to skip over that. I'm going to teach that. I love uh, teaching that, but uh, for the sake of time, I'm not. So for for all intents and purposes, like I said, Jesus did some things when he died, and A couple of those things or all of those things meant that he, when he conquered death, he's Lord over all. He has the keys to death and Hades. We're just going to leave it right there because if I go deeper into that, it's going to be confusing and we don't really need to get into that right now. This is Old Testament and Revelation, but I do promise you I'll I'll either include it in this series or I'll teach it another time because it is very interesting listening to the book of jude connect with us on social media search at book of tim jude on facebook instagram and twitter chaplain jude posts frequently with additional resources for you to further your study of god and his word feel free to ask questions or leave comments remember prayer requests are always welcome search book of tim jude b-o-o-k-o-f T I M J U D E. Now back to the show. Oh man, I got to get that changed. I keep forgetting. So it's just search at book of or book of Jude. You don't need to use Tim. You should be able to find it on everything at book of Jude. I got to contact that guy and have him have him change that. (laughs) Anyway, so let's let's talk about the keys of the house of David, the one who opens and no one shuts, who shuts and no one opens. So uh, let me read to you a passage of Scripture that is in the Old Testament, and I'm going to do my best. I'm going to do my best because it's a lot, and I don't know how well my voice is going to hold up. Like I said, I'm still kind of coughing and things. So this is um, Isaiah 22-22. 15 to 24 but bear with me guys i'm just trying to get this out because it's just been so long and um just wanted to leave you just wanted to give you something that you could study for a while so this is isaiah twenty-two, fifteen to 24 thus saith the lord of hosts come go to the steward to shebna who is over the house and say to him, what have you to do here? And whom have you here that you have cut out here a tomb for yourself? You will cut out a tomb on the height and carve a dwelling for yourself in the rock. Behold, the Lord will hurl you away violently. O you strong man, he will seize you. He, I'm sorry, he will seize firm hold on you and whirl you around and around and throw you like a ball into the wide land. You shall There you shall die and uh, shall be your glorious chariots. You shall shame of your master. You're the shame of your master's house. That's harsh. Verse 19, I will thrust you from your office and you will be pulled down from your station. In that day, I will call my servant Eliakim, Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will clothe him with your robe and will bind your sash on him and will commit your authority to his hand. And he shall be a father to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the house of Judah. And I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut, and none shall open. I will fasten him like a peg into a secure place, and he will become a throne of honor to my father's house, and will hang on him the whole honor of his father's house, the offspring, and issue every small vessel from the cups cups to all the flagons. I'm not sure. Anyway, you get the point. Uh, Eliakim, Uh, this means God will raise up, God will raise up, El, and then uh, God to raise basically is what it breaks down to, so uh, Eliakim, God establishes, God will raise up, the most prominent individual to bear this name was the son of Hilkiah, who was appointed steward in place of the deposed Shebna. Since the time of Solomon, this office had existed both in the north and south kingdoms. John compares the historical situation of Eliakim in relation to Israel with that of Christ in relation to the church in order to help the readers better understand the position that Christ now holds as the head of the true Israel and how it affects them. Christ's followers could be assured that the doors to the true synagogue were open to them, whereas the doors remain closed to those who rejected Christ. So all John is doing there is using an Old Testament historical figure and explaining Christ. Again, we're talking about he has the keys to the house of David. I have the keys to this. I have authority. I have power. Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah chapter 9, 6 and 7 Remember like him. it said something about being on his shoulders. Well that's that's from this passage, Isaiah nine, six to seven, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting prince, or everlasting father, prince of peace, of of the increase of his government, and the peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Isaiah. Do you you catch all that? That's a passage, at least the beginning of it, that we read for as a prophetic messianic passage for unto us, a child is born, son is given. But John, because he knows his his Bible, his Hebrew Bible, he is he has taken Isaiah nine and Isaiah twenty two, and has placed it where he's talking about. So he's taken his reader, whoever's reading this, saying, "Oh man, he's using he's using language from the Isaiah scroll." You see what that's what John is doing. That's what John has been doing, and. To us that that this is why we're I think this series is so important. We're so far removed. We read Revelation and we say, Oh, dragons and four horsemen of the apocalypse and all this, but look at look at how far look of how not far we've come. I mean, but look how much detail and how much how many times we went back to the old testament. I mean, it's really quite fascinating. I hope you're, I hope you're getting this. The wow, he's taking the reader back. He's reminding them of that fellow named Eliakim. God will raise up. God to raise. God establishes. So back to the uh, Isaiah chapter 22. I mean, first, whenever David is mentioned in connection with Christ in the New Testament, there are usually uh, discernible prophetic messianic overtones. I have a laundry list: Matthew one one, Matthew twenty two forty two to forty five, Mark eleven ten, Mark twelve thirty five to thirty seven, Luke one thirty two, Luke twenty forty one to forty four, John seven forty two, Acts two thirty to thirty six, Acts thirteen thirty four, Acts fifteen sixteen, Romans one one to four, Second Timothy two eight. David and Revelation allusions to uh, this Isaiah messianic prophecies. He he does this in Revelation five five, Revelation twenty two sixteen as well. Go read these verses and these passages. You will see what we're talking about. And and, and additionally the reference to Eliakim as my servant. In Isaiah 22:20 20, would have been easily associated with the servant prophecies in Isaiah 40 to 53. We call these servant prophecies Isaiah chapter 40 to chapter 53 is called the um, servant prophecies. But my servant—that's—I mean—that's that, an easy connection to Christ. Also, we have the placing of the key of the house of David. That is administrative responsibility for the kingdom of Judah on his shoulders at that time Eliakim's shoulders the allusion to him as father to those in Jerusalem in the house of Judah and the reference to his becoming a throne of glory would have also facilitated such a prophetic understanding of Isaiah 22 22 since this language is so strikingly parallel to the prophecy in Isaiah nine six seven, 7 of the future Israelite ruler, the government is on his shoulders, and his name will be called Eternal Father, the one who sits on the throne of David. I hope you're getting the connection. Wow, I'm telling you, I just said a whole mouthful, and this, I beg of you to go back and study this. Over, listen to listen to me. Over, go back and study it. Take your notes. All of these verses that I reference, you'll see it. Start, start highlighting. Man, if you start highlighting Old Testament words and passages that John uses in Revelation, and frankly, the New Testament, uh, Paul does it. You know Matthew, they all do it. Um, you're gonna be amazed. You're gonna be amazed. All right, Revelation 3.9, behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that there are, they are Jews and they are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. I want you to compare that to Isaiah 43.4, Isaiah 45.14, and Isaiah 49.23, and you let me know what you come up with. You let me know what you think. These allusions are applied to the church, though the rationale for the application lies in an understanding of the church's corporate identification with Jesus as God's servant and true Israel. We get this from Isaiah 49, 3-6, And he said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing in vanity, yet surely my right is uh, with the Lord, and my recompense is my, with my God. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him, and that Israel might be gathered to him, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. He says, It. Is too light a thing that you should be a servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel? I will make you a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Note in verse 6, this last part, uh, because Luke 2.32 says, A light for the revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people Israel. You see what Luke did there? Uh, In Acts, uh, this is written by Luke as well. I have made you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. He is alluding to or quoting the Isaiah scroll. Again, Acts 26, 23, that the Christ must suffer and that by being the first to rise from the dead, he would proclaim light both to our people and to the Gentiles. You see, they all do it, and we're we're missing. When someone says, don't read the Old Testament, you don't need the Old Testament, you're never going to understand the New Testament, and I know I've said that before. So know how Christ and the church fulfill what is prophesied of Israel in the Old Testament. The main typological correspondence between Eliakim and Christ is that Christ, like Eliakim, was to have absolute power over the Davidic throne as king. Whereas Eliakim's control was primarily political, Christ was the primary, primarily spiritual, as well as ultimately universal in all aspects. Whereas Eliakim was to rule over Jerusalem, Judah, and the house of David, Christ's sovereignty was to extend over all peoples. And that's a quote from GK Beal. Starting to lose my voice. We're going to end there. Appreciate y'all's patience with me. This is this was a rough one. I'm still kind of um, coughing and nasally. And, you know, so, hey, pray for me. <laughs> pray for me. Again, I, I've been to the doctor. They said, I'm good. It's just I have this lasting cough and things. So, anyway, I... Um, I'll be going out of town and I'm going to do my best to post things on social media. But if I don't, I'm just busy. I'm busy, busy. I'm going to be officiating a wedding and uh, no other changes. I I have, ai have, I've still been taking my notes and everything. So I have a lot to record. So I'm going to be firing them out there pretty quickly. uh, Probably when I get back from, from our trip. So um, until then. Blessings to you. Thank you so much. Um, Thank you for your patience. I pray that God's uh, peace and comfort is upon you as you go out. And, you know, make disciples.